Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome. Welcome to 2016, and uh, welcome, Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing pretty good, Parv. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. Um, so, it's been a while. Pretty <laughs> um, uh, usual. Yes. Uh, and... I mean, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we can uh, knock some out this year. At least get to the end of '92. That would be a, something, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but we were. It felt like we were stuck in '91 way longer than we've been in '92. So, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're looking at Clash of the Champions. Is it 19 today? Yeah, this is. I would say this is kind of one of the more forgotten clashes. Uh, I don't know if that's due to the timing or what, but I don't think this is one you ever really hear much about. I, I've got a feeling I skipped this one back in the day. Well, I don't I don't recall watching this one before. Yeah, so. I didn't recall watching this show uh, either until I watched it for the uh, podcast we're doing now. Yeah, and, uh, it may well be a shorter show than usual because we don't have any Meltzers today. Uh, the reason for that is that this clash took place, what was it, two, three days before Beach Blast? Yeah, I think, um, what is it, I think uh, Beach Bl- this was taped June 16th, Beach Blast is June 20th, and then this aired June 22nd. So, for the viewer, we're still viewing everything in chronological order, but this was actually taped before Beach Blast. Yeah, and uh, that, that's important because I think there are a couple of little things in the continuity that happen on this show after that show. Cause right. uh, this hasn't like, in, if you watch beach blast, this hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so th- th- basically bill, we're firmly in bill Watts territory at this point. And um, uh, basically they're going to have an NWA uh, tournament f- to declare the new world tag team champions for the NWA. Um, but the WCW tag champions are going to remain world champs as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a weird thing where they all of a sudden after, you know, WCW with the Crockett buyout, once they were firmly WCW in 90 uh, and 91, they went strictly into pretty much ignoring NWA, no mention of that moniker at all. And now all of a sudden we're getting kind of revitalization of the NWA moniker, whether it's a uh, another you know the committees brought up and they're sanctioning uh, this tournament using WCW talent, uh, but basically just kind of dual champions is what we'll end up with. Yeah, and as the uh, as the um, show starts, we get these uh, kind of uh, graphics of various different countries that are taking part. And uh, one of the ideas I've always loved, Chad, is the is this idea that in wrestling there are only eight countries. So it's the same eight, right? Like South Africa, um, New Zealand, Canada, USA, like Japan, 
Mexico. Those are those are the only countries in the world. But here we got a whole like weird. It was like Liechtenstein and Dominican Republic and <laughs> uh, such a weird mix of countries we got at the start of this show. Oh, now I, I should clarify. I just looked this up. So they actually did unify the belts. Oh really? Yeah, but not um, not not yet, right? Not yet. Not yeah. as now. But once. Uh, the coronation occurs at Great American Bash. They will unify them. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, because... Was it the Steiners or the WCW? Yeah, well, as, of, uh, as yeah. of this show, the Steiner brothers are the WCW yeah. tag team champions. And this is basically what we're building toward. It seems completely pointless in my mind to run this tournament if they were just going to unite them in uh, anyway. But right. uh, maybe... Yeah, but- I get the impression that they didn't quite know what they were doing on this show, as we'll as we'll get to in a second, because getting uh, mixed messages from Bill Watts, we'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, so so basically, as we start the show, we have Tony Schiavone, uh, Missy Hyatt, and Magnum TA against one of the oldest school backdrops. Like, I mean, this was like a throwback to the 1970s, this set, wasn't it? Like, you, you know, like the set on the... Um, on the old Techwood Studio, the World Championship Wrestling yeah. one, I th- I thought that that looks more modern than this set that they had here. This was like the set on. Um, I tell you what, it was like when we watched that Amarillo footage from like 1978. Like right. it was similar to the sort of backdrop they had there, or on like the old Houston footage. Sometimes you see the NWA backdrop, um, and the and the very first thing that Watts says is tradition. So, uh, what did you make of this uh, really retrograde opening here, Chad? Yeah, the pr- the presentation is definitely uh, flavored as an old school feel, and it feels like Watts was really doubling down. I would say on some of that uh, with this show, based with the presentation, the tournament, the the hard hitting competitors in the tournament that they kept putting over. Yeah. Uh, that type of hard-hitting action that you were used to seeing. So they were really kind of building up at this point that WCW as a product going forward was going to be a product kind of more ingrained in the past than in the future, for sure. And I think that's a little ironic, because if you look at Watts' own TV, that you know, the presentation on that was kind of innovative in a way. In a way. It didn't look... Uh, it certainly doesn't... I don't know. I mean, it's 80s, obviously, but... You know, if you compare it to the other shows of the time, it, it would be one of the more modern shows in my mind. Yeah, uh, a lot of the production techniques with uh, Joel Watts, his son, were uh, utilized in Mid-South to make the presentation look fresh and hip uh, in the mid-80s. Um, by, by this point in time, I think Joel and Bill had had their falling out. Um, so, so that, I, I don't know... That that may have been kind of a a a point of contention even in the mid '80s, where he did give a lot of the production aspects over to Joel, and Joel moved it more into that modern age. And now that Watts has uh, pretty much total control of WCW, he's eradicated that. But but that is kind of ironic that the previous promotion that this man was over was seen as progressive. And now we've really kind of regressed to where a lot of aspects of this show could have, you know, fell into 1985 and 1986 and not skipped a beat. And and I would say both promotions, because watching this show, you know, it's like this is 1992 
And, but I was thinking about the WWF product at this time, and they still felt kind of... It was right on the tail end of that rock and wrestling era, you know? Not, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, they, they hadn't really kind of transitioned either. So both, both promotions with the U.S., and I wonder if that kind of helped perpetuate the doldrums we see in 1993 with the uh, U.S. domestic product. Um, yeah. You know, there was a baby of other issues, but I certainly think that as dated as both promotions looked at times, kind of contributed at least partially to that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, I think that the WF presentation at this time probably hadn't changed much since about 1988, I would say. I think yeah. there, is, there is nearly a transition between like the early Hogan era and the late Hogan era. But that, that had kind of been in the same place for a few years. Like if you watch uh, Saturday Night's main event from 88, say, and one from 91, they're very similar. Right. Um, whereas if you, I reckon if you watch like some 91 WCW TV and then watch this, it's like they've stepped backwards about 15 years. Like I actually think it's 70s rather than 80s looking. A lot of this st- um, stuff that we see on this show. And it was just saying, it was, if you use like 1978 as a benchmark, I was just thinking that 1992 versus 1978 is the same gap as 2002, um, as, sorry, as 2012 from 1998. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I reckon that we're currently looking at TV now that hasn't really moved on a whole bunch in the way it looks since the Attitude Era. Would you agree with that? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the general makeup of Raw since they went to the Titan Tron in 97, went to that setup, it hasn't changed a whole lot um, in the basic presentation. I think that more has to do with um, kind of the, the, I guess, that the, the, the business as a whole now is so centered on really one promotion. As far as a television product, I mean, neither one of us has watched much DNA, no. uh, Ring of Honor's production up till I would say a few months ago. Before, I mean, up till a couple of months ago, Ring of Honor wasn't even airing in HD in my market, and it still looked very dark, very dainty um, yeah. looking. And but, now they've but, sort of stepped it up. But let's face it, TNA has always been a knockoff of WE product, like. The way they yeah, look they used anyway. it the same. I mean, maybe the six-sided ring was a little bit of a different wrinkle, but they're not trying to. Uh, and and I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess I don't know what a television product would look like, wrestling-wise, like that. I mean, maybe a lot more social media integration or mm. using something like that. But then it could end up looking really busy on your screen. Uh, so so I kind of. It'd be interesting if somebody tried that. I mean, I mean, I think people may argue that something like Lucha Underground is uh, probably the closest you've seen to a revolution in the wrestling product being presented. It's certainly something that uh, we miss these days is that um, the, the difference between all the different you know places. Like if you you know from the territory days, if you're watching a Texas show, you really they really feel different from a Portland show or a or a you know, what, what, whichever territory you pick, you, it's got its own feel, you know? Right, right. And, Each uh, uh, promotion had its own vibe. And uh, 
not not really now in a lot of ways yeah but even even like going back on like the stuff we watch for titans philly's got its own feel msg's got its own feel you know boston's got its own feel whereas it, it, it seems like that even that has been lost over the over the years where every single place just feels the same no matter where it is you know anyway um let's uh move on because we've have jim ross and jesse ventura on commentary uh for this one and um uh, basically they're gonna have this tournament from various people from around the world and um the first match hailing from hungary apparently are dean and joe malenko taking on uh the team of ricky steamboat and nikita koloff representing two different so it was weird that they did this mixed nationality team what's the point of the nationalities then (laughs) (laughs) means nothing right (laughs) um and Koloff was representing Liechtenstein and Steamboat USA. So, yeah, that great union. <laughs> um, and then Jesse and Ross go on about how Steamboat and Koloff are unseeded. So, then uh, they mentioned the seedings uh, numerous times over the evening. Yeah, I don't think, did we ever, I, I was meant to piece out, like, who was actually seeded what, but I never quite... I, th- I think it was implied the Steiners were number one seeds. Well, but I thought, um, didn't in that match they said they were like number four or something <laughs> ridiculous? I don't know. I mean, I know they said that Ase and uh, Nogami was number two. Yeah. But uh, maybe they did say the Steiners were number one, but I felt like I heard number four for them or for some, I don't know. Maybe, Doc, maybe Doc and Gordy maybe were Doc four. and Gordy were number yeah. four. That makes <laughs> sense. Um, but then they shouldn't be facing each other in the uh, in the quarterfinals. That would be in the semifinals where one would or one would face four hypothetically. Yeah, the whole thing made, it, it's, made no it's sense. It's a mess. I mean, they can't even <laughs> keep track with it. Yeah, that makes no sense. If they are one and four, they wouldn't face in the second round. It would have been the semifinals. Right. So, what did you think about this? To to a, a, a kind of late nineties uh, internet fan, maybe uh, the prospect of Dean Malenko and Ricky Steamboat in the same ring. Maybe has Dream Match written over it. What do, what do you reckon, Chad? Yeah, that's that's an interesting... I mean, I don't think you think about this being Dean's debut for the promotion, but uh, here here he is. And, um, I, I mean, I thought this was a solid match, a good opener, energetic. I thought Joe, who is someone I have enjoyed in Japan, looked a little, I guess, lost at times in this match when they do the thing where... Uh, you would enjoy him in Japan? I like Joe Malenko in Japan. <laughs> so boring. No, well, you hated that one, that one match, the singles match or whatever. Yeah. But the the Malenkos together uh, had some good stuff in the nineties, eighties hey, and nineties. Did you see that Nitro where Joe Malenko came out and like uh, I can't remember what he was doing there now or was it even a raw i can't remember if it was raw or nitro but joe malenko comes out and he ends up taking a special move with somebody he's like old and fat i I don't recall that (laughs) i see if i can see if i can figure out uh when that was from (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but but anyway i mean when joe is supposed to like uh when steamboat's supposed to get hung over the rope that was kind of botched off the head scissors uh by joe 
he looked a little lackadaisical. I mean, this this was pretty basic stuff that you could see on WCW Saturday Night. But I mean, you got a steamboat face in peril spot. I'm always not going to complain about that. And Nikita, I think, is a good person for someone to get a hot tag, to throw out his sickle, and to uh, pick up the victory. I, I, I did think the opening moments with Steamboat and Dean were pretty crisp. Uh, Dean Dean's someone I like, but uh, I, I kind of don't know where I stand on him because I do think he had a lot of hype when I first started getting online, and it was something I didn't quite understand. But I feel like a lot of people kind of, uh, I guess the 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 I don't I don't know the expression, but he's really kind of lost his luster. I I think and, he's someone who suffered. He's someone who suffered. Uh, quite a lot from revisionist kind of you know that i hate i hate to say the pwa the pwo way of looking at things but dean seems to be someone whose stock has fallen um and also i would say of this like the you know like the fans uh like uh my friends uh johnny and uh, kelly from titans of wrestling like i think they would be down on someone like dean for having like no charisma for not doing those aspects of wrestling very well so I think his stock has fallen from that kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but people who want to look for more than just work rates. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think nowadays workers with emotion and being able to tell a story or at least having a personality you can get behind uh, goes a lot further than just being, you know, the man of a thousand holds that's kind of like a machine that doesn't express any emotion. He's almost, he's almost like a 90s version of Dory Funk Jr., you could argue. I, I mean, they had virtually the same gimmick, which is wrestling machine or, you know, Iceman or whatever. And uh, Texas Cloverleaf as well, of course. That's kind of int- in that, and the other thing is, you know, like when Dory gets really fired up he can be a really good brawler yeah and you think about like dean when we'll get to it years down the line but when he gets really fired up like versus the jericho feud he can be a effective kind of brawler when he does show emotion too Um, yeah you know it's an interesting parallel um and that chris jericho feud that you just mentioned yeah that, that was when joe malenko made his appearance it was on the um if you want to seek it out on the network it was the um November the fifth show, uh, the, the November the fifth ninety eight Nitro, Joe Malenko comes out looking completely kind of sort of like I don't know old and wearing a jumper and stuff and I think he takes like the walls of Jericho or something in that. Um, it was part of that whole deal where uh, Jericho was like humiliating Malenko every week and uh, so he kick you know beats up his brother. Right. So so um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I gave this match two stars, Chad. Where did you go on it? Uh, I went two and a half. I mean, I thought it was solid, but nothing exceptional. You know, I didn't really have a lot to say on this one. I, um, you know, there were some nice old school exchanges early on with Steamboat and uh, Dean. Um, and I, I did think they got over quite well. This, You know, the story that, they, that the Malenkos were the more established team through the double teaming. Right. Um, they told that story fairly well, but... I mean, I don't know really what you can expect out of this match. Um, you know, it was there to put Steamboat and Koloff over, basically. Um, so, you know, basically the body of the match was just eating up time until the finish. Yeah, that's, I mean, one, one thing, I mean, this is what happened in the Pat O'Connor tournament, too, is, 
a lot of these finishes are seem pretty predictable just based on the competitors. You know? Yeah. Not you're not gonna have the Malikos running around as WCW or NWA tag champions, so it it, it would take a big up for them to win. Yeah, and that's something that we might want to talk about a little bit because in most of the tournaments I can think of in wrestling history, WrestleMania four, you know, a lot of the King of the Ring tournaments are pre- pretty dull affairs, you know, because of this kind of you kind of know who's going over the body of the match is basically just eating up time. Can you think of many tournaments that have been done really well in wrestling? Um, I mean, I, th- I think Survivor Series 98, from a booking standpoint, has done really well. Uh, and then that's a tournament where going in, I don't think you would have predicted The Rock would have won hmm. the uh, the title, even though he was, I mean, I, I think he'd have been probably your third or maybe fourth choice, even behind someone like The Undertaker or Kane. Um, what what about the Japanese tournaments that they have, or is that or is that or are they kind of given a pass because they run them over so many different days? Well, the, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, there's certainly been G ones that are uh, I I feel are pretty unpredictable and wild. A G ones kind of notorious as a tournament where they'll throw out some random ux- upsets uh, at certain points that really come out of left field uh even as recent i mean like uh, like uh last year i think it was shelton benjamin started out the g1 climax five and oh and it was it was crazy he was leading his block and then uh came back down the earth but even in the finals like the 2003 g1 climax tournament is one i can cite where akiyama and tenzon and nagata all three are kind of in the mix there that that's a good tournament that felt uh, pretty unpredictable. Yeah, uh, that... Some of some of the champion carnivals, I guess, in like ninety four, ninety five, and the golden age of the carnivals. Yeah, I'd I'd cite Champions Carnival seventy five, of course, as my boy Dory doing his thing. But I mean, I I think that tournament, the seventy five one, does this whole deal of like the people coming from all around the world does that quite well. Because you have like Horst Hoffman comes in and various different like random guys that you wouldn't expect to see, and um, I quite like I love that idea of all the people coming from all around the world, but um, they never quite pull it off in the U.S. setting because the competitors from abroad always just get jobbed out really cheaply and easily, don't they? Yeah, well, I actually think you could do that now. And the Battle of Los Angeles last year kind of had a little bit of that vibe with the Lucha guys and a lot of the uh, current UK guys coming in. Um, and that was one of their most like high-profile pri- uh, spots in the U.S., like Will Ospreay. Um, so, so they did that a little bit. I think right now is actually a good time. Mm. Where it'd be right for that type of tournament. Because you have distinctively UK guys like Osprey, Tommy End, uh, Marty, Marty Scroll. You have a lot of Lucha guys that you could bring in. You have a lot of Japanese guys you could bring in. So a uh, good flavor. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's go to our second match. And it's the Dangerous Alliance still together. Uh this uh, pairing is Austin and uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. And they're taking on uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Tom. It, how the hell is he still under contract? Zenk. The Z-Man. The Z-Man, as I like to say. <laughs> um, 
Ventura mocks Sprayberry High School, um, as he's wont to do. <laughs> now, uh, what did you think of this matchup? Yeah, I mean, this wasn't much of a match. Um, I, I thought Rude looked really good when he was in there. I mean, he looked vicious. Gave a vicious clothesline. The Rude Awakening at the end was uh, mm. pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, Bagwell shows a little fire here. And is able to show a little something, but this was pretty much a vehicle to make the Dangerous Alliance pairing look good. Uh, I, I thought Medusa's outfit was very interesting. Did you see Rue check out her ass on the way yeah, to the ring? Wait, that is a great moment. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend anybody that watches this show. I'm glad you mentioned that because she's wearing like a one-piece bathing suit and like a tuxedo <laughs> coattails. So she walks out in front, and then Rude looks straight at her ass and then gives like a look at the camera like hmm you know like it's so amazing i think that's our front cover for this show <laughs> just like, <laughs> like mugging uh, it's a great moment i mean rude and austin are a fun team i think uh, I, all around I, yeah I, I thought there was nothing not to love here really because basically austin and rude just kicked the shit out of these two pretty boys like i mean we get a nice array of offense from both of them lovely suplex from rude i mean it was just they were just going through some you know their basic arsenal but it's nice to see heels get a dominant win over the likes of uh, the z-man and bagwell so now I mean, I mean, so like i did my cursory reviews of this show and I, and a lot of people call this match like a squash and this mm-hmm. may be a i guess kind of semantics situation but I don't know. I didn't consider this match a squash. Now, certainly Rude and Austin dominated, like you said. Like, they were probably 80-20. But I would say this match, to me, is right on the cusp of, you know, it's a dominating performance, but it's not a total squash because Bagwell did get the hot tag. And even at the finish, you know, Zink and Austin are going toe-to-toe on the floor when uh, he hits the Rude Awakening on Bagwell in the ring. The, the the phrase I the phrase I would use is extended squash. I mean this this is not um, you know established team versus jobbers. This is two big stars versus two guys who are lower mid card or even right. jobber to the stars. You know, right. um, it's this it's the sort of match that you'd get like I don't know. I'm just pick. I always go to eighty eight or eighty nine as my random examples, but something like I don't know. Uh, DBRC versus Coco Beware. Well, you, yeah, you, you yeah. know that match is going to go about seven or eight minutes, and that Coco is going to get a comeback. But it's basically like an extended squash, you know. Like to Tommy Rich was basically in that mold for WCW. We've seen plenty of them, where most of his matches have been extended squashes, uh, not pure squashes. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think get so. behind that. So um, yeah, I gave it two stars. I mean, you know, it's, it is where it is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I went a star and a half, but I did think like that the uh, Dangerous Alliance pairing looked good, which I guess I mean that was the objective. So, so so now we get Doctor Death and uh, Bam Bam Terry Gordy, who are with Eric Bischoff, um, and they're wearing Japanese robes. Uh, Gordy says that nobody cares about Australia. And that all anybody cares about seeing is them against the Steiner. So they they basically bury the O'Days from the off here completely, like, uh, like like they're objecting to even having to face them because they're jobbers. 
And then um, Steve Williams busts out a line that I actually rewind twice to listen to. He says, because he talks about, he says, basically, when I hear about two athletic guys from Michigan, all I can think about is queers. And then he says, I can't say that on TV. (laughs) Did you catch that? Yeah, that was... uh... I'm surprised. I'm surprised that hasn't become more of an internet meme. That line. All I can think about is queers. I can't say that on TV. I mean, <laughs> how did that go out? Ninety-two WCW, I guess. That's all you can say. <laughs> and and this is one of those under the radar shows because uh, W, whoever was doing the WWE tape, didn't uh, beep it or censor it or anything. So <laughs> just fly it under the radar. This show. So, um, yeah, I yes. Mean, this show was on a tape delay, so it wasn't like this was live. No, like they, they could have edited that out if they wanted to. Yeah, probably wouldn't occur to Bill Watts, to be honest. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that's a little uh, gem uh, from this show. The uh, all I can think about is queers line. Um, that's ripe for a DJ Par remix. That one, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Not promising anything, but you know. <laughs> um, so they are now facing uh, Williams and Gordy. That is, they go straight into the match, and they're facing Larry and Jeff O'Day. Now the O'Days, I looked up, were really stars in Australia. Chad, uh, Larry O'Day uh, was the co-owner of the Australian WCW with Jim Bonnet, and Jeff is his son. So he was like a legit star in Australia. They really did fly them all the way over here for this match. Uh, Larry O'Day was like a 15-time WCW World Champion Australia or whatever, and basically Ross and Jesse bury them, bury just bury him. <laughs> what did you think of the treatment of Larry O'Day here? Yeah, he he gets he he's the one that takes the uh, back suplex, correct? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, so he gets pulverized. Now this this match is a squash. Um, I, I don't see how any two ways about that. It's a hundred percent. I mean, he takes a back suplex, Oklahoma Stampede by Williams, uh, Jim Ross, and uh, I mean Jesse says, "Where did he like? Where did he get those titles?" Or they basically bury the legitimacy of the titles. Right. Like, who did he beat for those titles? And Ross was like, "I don't know. I don't care." Um, so, what was the point of flying them all the way over for that? I that have was... no idea. It was because it was like three minutes too. So. I mean. You could have just brought in uh, Jack Victory or something, I'd have thought, if you wanted an Australian team. Right, sure. Um, yeah, and that was apparently Larry O'Day's last match, so way to go out, Larry. <laughs> well, he took a big bump right on the top of his head, so... <laughs> yeah, maybe he retired him. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nasty back suplex. I mean, this was uh, a tribute to Sid by the... Uh... Miracle Violence connection. Well, one was... thing I will say is that I've often criticised Williams and Gordy for not living up to their hype. This is one match where you could say, well, okay, they did look like ass kickers in this one. Yeah, they did definitely look uh, pretty badass uh, throughout this squash. Half a st- I mean, I don't really know if I, can, I gave it half yeah, a star. Yeah, I went like a half star too, I guess. I didn't even write something down, but it, I mean, it was entertaining for the three minutes that occurred just because they pulverized the old days. So, so now Jesse is in the ring with uh, Sting, and uh, he wants to, Sting that is, wants to tell a David of David and Goliath kind of a story with Vader. 
But here's the twist, Chad. All the, With all the little stingers out there, Sting is the Goliath and Vader is the David. What did you think of that story? That- I, I, okay, I, I can sense from your snark in describing that you're going not <laughs> like it, but I thought this was really effective. I, and I, really I, I, enjoyed I, I wasn't trying to be that snarky. I, I actually thought it was quite clever. Yeah, because when he... <laughs> he at first off, stings in a tux and also has black and white face paint. <laughs> uh, so that was amusing. I expected the horseman to come out and turn on him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, he starts out by saying this is a David and Goliath story. And you're like, oh, here we go, you know. But but I did like the way they turned it on its head by Sting saying, you know, with the people's support, he'll be the Goliath in the story. And Vader can't contend with that. And uh, I, th- I thought that was a neat wrinkle to turn around an established kind of story that's ingrained in people's mind. Yeah, and, and one uh, interesting th- uh, thing about that is that um, I thought it was interesting that uh, that is the first little shade I've I've had off Sting of him channeling a bit of Hulk Hogan. That's a kind of Hulk Hogan line, isn't it? All the little Hulkamaniacs out there are an equalizer type thing. He hasn't really rested on that too much in, in all of the stuff we've seen so far. So Yeah, this this also felt like an indication where Sting was sort of the ace of the promotion, which is pretty rare. Yeah. Um one one thing about the the face paint on the suit, he did well not to get any paint on the actual suit itself. You know? <laughs> Had to return it back to uh <laughs> men's warehouse the next day, probably. <laughs> Maybe they've got a supply. They must have a supplier of tuxes, right? Well, how? how uh, I, I meant to ask. So, how is that in the UK? You were just in a wedding. Is that something you ran, or did you have to buy over there? Is it like? Oh a, no, no, we just rented it. Yeah. Okay. So it's like in the US, where you rent it and return it the next day, or. I, I did have my own tux though that I used to wear, like a black tux, because uh, I can believe that. When I was a. Oxford, I needed one basically because there was lots of kind of black tie things. But right. I think I gave it to my dad, and he never gave it back to me. So, <laughs> like, give me my tux back, Dad. It probably won't fit me now, anyway. Yeah. Uh, especially after Christmas. Yeah. Well, just a quick side note, but my dad uh, pulled one out of Par's playbook and stole my Star Wars DVDs, and he hasn't returned <laughs> those yet either. So. <laughs> Hold on. Why is that my? When have I stolen? Well, DVDs? no, because you're going through all the Star Wars. All oh, right, yeah. So. Now, I I will say, uh, John Cooper, who will never listen to this, I've still got your Smack and Whackham uh, tape from back in the day, <laughs> and I'm about to sell it on eBay. So, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I got a few tapes that I never gave back. Um, anyway, um, so where were we? Yes, uh, so now we're getting on to another really kind of dream match looking thing on paper. Get this, Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes taking on Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton in a tag team matchup. Like, if you were to say top 20 tag team workers, I reckon all four of those guys would be in contention for that list. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean some, I I guess in the fact of Arn and eaten you could argue they'd be like top five contenders well they'd probably be my top one and two yeah. in that and right. dustin wouldn't be that you know he's definitely top 20 he's up there yeah yeah wendom's been in some good great uh, great tag matches as well uh yeah. so so this looks pretty tasty on paper and yeah. and you present it like that that's kind of interesting because i mean i did like this match a good bit and i, I mean i thought it was good but yeah, I guess if you go in with the expectation that this is 
the four of the top 20 best U.S. tag workers of all time or top 25, then them having, I, I gave the match three and a half stars, but that could actually be seen as disappointing. Yeah. Um, I guess I had no expectation of it because I just knew what sort of car this was, so I I wasn't expecting. Right, anything. I, 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 I mean, it, it goes ten. I think they probably went about ten to twelve minutes. And, I, and, and it's funny, you know, Chad. I, I I just happened to see another tag match with Arn and Bob Eaton in it um, against. Uh, in fact, it was Arn and Terry Funk against um, Sabu and Bob Eaton. Have you seen that match from ECW? Yes, yes. When uh, and uh, ECW that's a, comes that's up. another one where you're like, wow. These these two these two guys Terry Funk and Sabu who you know love him or hate him he's he was a big figure at that time and again it's like yeah it's a decent match but it doesn't you know it's like I don't know I guess I don't know if it's an actual knock on Arn or Eaton that they can't deliver on those moments or are they just doing what they were booked well, that, to do you know? <laughs> that's something we'll see I mean we can go through that but ninety four Arn Anderson I'm not. Um... There's a lot that I'm not, I guess, crazy about with him. Even in the stud stable stuff, I know, um, like when I watched the Bash at the Beach match, it, I mean, it's not like it's bad, of course, but I, I, I didn't, and I, I that ECW tag, I really did not like at all. Um, right. I, I thought that was really disappointing. So, it's, a, it's a mess, that match, basically. So, yeah, so th- that's a plus. I mean, he could have just been there for a payday. probably was. Uh, but but to get to this match, I thought the opening was pretty good where you have the uh, fact that both members of the Dangerous Alliance get kind of thrown over. Uh, one with a big kick, and one gets clotheslined out of the ring, and Polly is calling for the DQ that never comes and really is upset about all this. Um, then you get the face and peril segment on Dustin, which is really good. He does his miss crossbody and bounces out to the ring. I, I thought Paulie was really good here when he hit the phone into Dustin's back. Yeah. Uh, you, you can sort of barely see it on the uh, screen, but he he's getting heat from the front row, and he kind of cups his ear like Hulk Hogan does. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was really <laughs> sleazy with the way he does it. Like... Wanting the crowd to fire him up. Uh, the uh, the control sequence on Dustin I thought was really good. Bobby hits a high knee. Uh, we go to the finishing sequence. Arn is able to uh, hit the spine buster, which, of course, the camera misses, which, you know. What yeah, I, I wrote here, uh, Chad, that I do I no longer see the spine buster as a finisher because it never finishes matches. I mean, have you ever seen the spine buster finish an Arn match? Every once in a while, but, <laughs> I, but I actually thought it was fine here because they're on the outside. So right, there is yeah. about a 10-second gap from when they go for the pin, uh, which but I did, thought did, was Do you actually see it as Arn's finisher? Because... Like, in my mind, maybe his finish is the DDT. Yeah, I would say DDT, number one, but I'd say Spine Buster is... Uh... It's, it's almost like, um, I hate to bring him up again, but, you know, like DBRC Scoop Power Slam? It's like a big spot that he does, but it's not... Re- it's a signature move. I don't... I, don't, but, I mean, I but it's see not it fin- it's not a finisher. Do you? Yeah, okay. a little bit. I, I, okay. I see it as... Um... Well, I don't know. I mean, it may may even be like you know, uh, Jake Roberts's short arm clothesline, something that like sets that. Sets up okay. the DDT. Uh, may, yeah. Maybe even a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I would say the DDT is kind of his prime. I'd, I'd call it like the Arn Anderson spine buster 
the Billy Robinson backbreaker. It's kind of like it's it's such a signature move, but I don't know if it's an actual finisher. I guess even with later day Masawa, you could get like that with the Tiger Driver itself. Yeah. I mean, the regular Tiger Driver, he would bust out, but hardly ever got the pitfall. Yeah. So uh, something like that. Um, and then Eaton misses the Alabama Jam, and uh, Dustin and Barry are able to pick up the win. I, I thought that was kind of a cool, like, mild upset to have. We talked about the tournament being predictable, but that was sort of a unpredictable finish in a way. And uh, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I gave it three and a half. JC on commentary, I should mention, was absolutely against uh, Wyndham with his tape fits. <laughs> yeah, I've written that. It never gets old, that, does he? This, this, is, <laughs> this is right in that era where he's appalled that uh, Wyndham's allowed to wear did, to the What ring. did he say? It's been nine months. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that is like as long as Wyndham's in the promotion, Ventura will always mention that. So it's one of those things. Yeah. He also criticizes the NWA seeding committee again because uh, Barry and Dustin are unseeded, which is like considering like some of the other teams that were seeded, that is ridiculous. Yeah, that does. Seem, was it the headhunter seeded? Maybe not. But <laughs> that, that is ridiculous that they were. Now, what did you think about the finish? Because the finish is Dustin does hit a running bulldog. And Eaton kind of takes the bump weird where he lands on the top of his head and flips over into like a cradle pin. Yeah. Uh, it, it looked a, it looked a little awkward on the way he bumped on the bulldog, but it kind of was interesting, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I kind of thought that he he was actually just moving into the position for the finish. Right. So it, it looked a bit, you know, it, it didn't bother me too much, to be honest. Uh, I thought it was a solid matchup, Chad. I gave it three stars. Um, you know, it, it just... Like, a lot of the matches on this card are going to be like this. It just was what it was, you know? Um, it, like, it, it did a job. I think they told a decent story in the time that they had. But, like, ideally, you'd want these guys to go, like, 20 minutes on a semi-main or something and give us an amazing match. Uh, not that I was thinking that at the time, because I knew it wouldn't be. But, you know, for what it was, that's as good as it could be, I thought. Right. Um, why don't we take a, a quick break here? Uh, you can listen to some of these adverts, and uh, I think I'm going to have to re-record that new one again because it's bloody awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is the worst moment ever. So, promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of the Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Place to be nation.com, the Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to be nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and Place to be nation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the mothership, the Place to be podcast, home of great interviews, and our famous vintage vault pay per view reviews. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you, including Main Event, which features a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, including immediate feedback and discussion for WWE, NXT, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Super Shows. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast, Phil Schneider's Digging in the Crates, and our monthly pay-per-view rewind roundtable series led by Ben Morse. And join Pro Wrestling Only's Will and I on the Dangerous Alliance podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. 
sports fans have plenty to enjoy as well. We featured the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, Dr. G, Cowboy, and Cowboy Sr., the Kings of Sport, led by Live Audio Wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast, which takes a year-round deep dive into pro hoops, and the TJ McLoon Show, featuring great guests from around the world of sports journalism. PTBN also proudly features the Richard Mailman Podcast, specializing in the world of TV, thought, leadership, anger, and irreverence. As mentioned, all these shows available on PlaysToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN also is a home to tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats, RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. We got a lot of great shows about pro wrestling, and we put them all on one feed that you can find wherever you listen to podcasts iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or of course at PlaceToBeNation.com. Pro Wrestling Only, PlaceToBeNation, Podcast Network. There's a lot of podcasts out there, but you won't find the historical depth, analytical insight, and great debate anywhere else. From old school wrestling talk to current day reaction shows, there's something for everyone. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Oh, and check out our complete archive at placetobenation.com. Just click on the podcast logo for links to all of our shows, as well as subscribing options. Place to be Nation, the only place to be for pro wrestling podcasts. And uh, welcome uh, back, everyone. Um, after that... And now we have another interview with uh, Dr. Death, uh, Steve Williams, and Terry Gordy. Um, and there's been shenanigans, Chad. What happens here? <laughs> so, well, for, well, first off, I think we should also mention Missy Hyatt's. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Tonight. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> Between her and Medusa, I don't know what was going on, but this seemed a little... Both of their outfits seemed a little, uh, how should we say it, uh, intriguing or inviting. Uh, Provoca- where, provocative, we could yeah, say. Yeah, provocative, because she's wearing the stockings, uh, like a, kind of like the lingerie stockings, and then <laughs> a poofy dress. But but the main gist of this interview is uh, we're informed uh, that the Puerto Ricans have had a terrible car accident and uh, probably will not be able to make it to the show. And we get a visual from Terry Gordy lying on the floor showing you uh, the position of the Puerto Ricans uh, out on the sidewalk. So that that was an interesting thing to go and watch. Clearly they, they are behind this. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the undertone is this is one of those uh, they got to the Puerto Ricans or whatever. But I wonder... Uh, that's something uh, that we're gonna have to remember to look up in the in the melters, Chad. They they didn't book any Puerto Ricans, did they? No, I, I think this was clear a way to uh, make the main event of the show what it was, which was the Steiners versus the MVC. I wonder who they could have booked. Like Johnny Rods, was he still working in '92? Well, that uh, <laughs> young youngster Carlos Colon. Yeah. Uh, prepping uh, for his Royal Rumble run. Maybe they could have brought in uh, Jose Luis Rivera or one of those guys. I could have done like Miguel Perez or somebody like that. But. Yeah, I think one of them was meant to be like I saw a Perez mentioned on the, you know, on the brackets. Like I, I saw one. Oh, of them was yeah, a... I think it was supposed to be, wasn't it? Ricky Santana and uh, Miguel Perez actually. Right. Okay. Um. So anyway, they didn't. They they obviously weren't there. Um, yeah, Wikipedia says it's supposed to be Miguel Perez Jr. and Ricky Santana. So 
take okay. that. But they weren't ever booked? I don't believe so. Okay. So now we get another intriguing matchup. Um, so we have a, a team of luchadors known as the Silver Kings, better known, of course, as Los Cowboys. Right. And they're taking on our favourites, where the big boy play legends, fabulous Freebirds. That is, of course, the Hayes and uh, Jimmy Jam Garvin version. Jimmy Jam Garvin still under contract in June of '92. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, still the U.S. champs. <laughs> oh Christ! I mean, the U.S. championship should have been retired a long time ago. As <laughs> That's well. what this tournament should have probably been <laughs> over, to be honest, with the U.S. tag belts. But uh. so. Um, just one little Ventura Jesse watch here. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you maybe clocked this as well. He says at one point, I wonder if that turnbuckle tastes like an enchilada, which was just a needless bit of like <laughs> <laughs> casual racism by Jesse. He's always had it in for the Mexican, doesn't he? Yeah, he really did not like <laughs> Tito uh, in WWF. But that was just a neat, like, absolutely egregious example of it. Like throwaway bit of racism. <laughs> Crept out. Um, and to, don't forget, he was like an elected, wasn't he like a mayor? In oh, United? yeah, he was the mayor of Brookline or whatever, Minnesota at this point. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Great if you were a Mexican in Minnesota, I guess. <laughs> he was the uh, Donald Trump of 1992 Minnesota, apparently, up there. He did chuck in another little bit of politics, didn't he? Something about, like, new legislation that lets uh, anybody go to. Was it like people in Mexico get to be detained? Yeah, well, yeah, he was saying, like, um, oh, what was it? It was like, how do you think he has to feel about Mexicans coming over and, yeah, being going to prison or something? I, I can't remember now, but I, when he did mention that, I was like, oh, good. We're getting some uh, prime Jesse political views here. So, um, well, I'm interested to see what you make of this match. I don't just put it that way. <laughs> well, I, what, what thing is... You know, I'm doing the watch where we go through everything that's on the network. And right now we're smack dab in the 1983 uh, world class. And Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin are probably the two coolest people in that promotion. Well, at that well hold on. Jimmy Garvin was cool. Jimmy Garvin is really cool, actually. <laughs> he, he And he's a completely different heel. Right. From the Freebirds, so it works. Uh, Sunshine has this huge video camera that she's taping. Actually, in the latest show, like uh, Jimmy Garvin was supposed to face Al Madrid, and he refuses to wrestle the match because he says we don't deserve to see him on television wrestling. So, so he literally just like walks out um, in a really like cool Dick Hill spot. How is it? How is it? The Texas TV, by the way. It's it's good. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm starting to think Texas is probably my least favorite territory, and I think it has to do with the babyface side. The Von Erichs, basically. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really big on any of the Von Erichs. I know Carrie has a pretty good following. Like Will likes Carrie a good bit as a worker. Yeah. At time and. It's just not something I see. Uh, I, I much prefer probably any of the other, like even the firm rock and wrestling Hulk Hogan that's cheating in most of his matches. I somehow like better than the Von Erichs. It's, it's always been the territory I've had the least amount of interest in, I guess, apart from like central states yeah. or whatever. So. I, I mean, the Freebirds are really cool, but there's just some booking stuff like right when the Freebirds come in, they're 
like Buddy Roberts' first match, he's having time limit draws with a jobber like Brian Adidas and other stuff where it, it feels like it's pretty slanted against the heels. I, uh, even though the heels are much cooler in that promotion overall than the faces. I, I will say that I've liked a little bit of Kevin Von Erich that I've seen here and there. Like a, he had a decent match against Harley, for example. And uh, Kerry has had some, like his highlights, I think, are pretty good. Um, as the kind of Lex Luger of his day, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I can't get into David Von Erich at all. And he's meant to be the worker of the three of them, isn't he? So. <clears throat> well, that that was sort of the reputation, I think, now with the revision that's changed. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think any of them are great shakes. I, I don't think any of them will be close to my top 100. So, I'll say that. Interesting. And I'm sure Kerry will get votes. Maybe. It, he'll, he'll probably get on my list. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Well, yeah, yes. so, so so this match, I mean, it, it, when it started, <laughs> I was very excited. Because I thought they were working a really quick pace. And I was shocked at, I guess, how kind of on the same page they were in the beginning with kind of quick reversals and moving around. And it was it was really a lot of fun. And boy, does that change where... I, the last the last two to three minutes of this match are, are essentially run off the cliff wrestling with just uh, the Silver Kings are throwing kicks kind of just randomly in the air. At one point, a Silver King trips over Michael Hayes doing a crisscross, and then he uh, doesn't hit on the left hand, but the Silver King uh, bumps off of it. Uh, the finish resorts where they go to the outside. Michael Hayes does pop Garvin with the left hand in a spot that looked really good. Uh, but then one of the Silver King just comes diving into view and lands <laughs> on his partner, which was humorous but didn't look great, and Hayes rolls him up. So uh, I, I would say an interesting match to watch, but not a good match with the way they sort of botched it. Uh, probably the last four or five minutes are pretty rough to watch. Yeah, th- this is a classic lost in translation match. I thought. I mean, <laughs> that, like, despite what you did, they're on totally different pages after <laughs> that opening. Um, and there was a number of different times I actually laughed because the silver, you know, one of the sing- silver kings was doing whatever they were doing, and you can just see Hayes' faces like, "What the fuck is this?" And then he just punches one of them, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and it's like a classic kind of like, you know just two different cultures of wrestling meeting there um yeah it was kind of funny though he does that a few times if you watch this match and just look at Hayes's face um and there's that one time where i can't remember if does like does he go down to the floor and Hayes is like no 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 type of thing just, yeah like, tells yeah, him off. <laughs> they, they are not on the same page it'd either be a Hayes punch or one of the silver kicks will just throw a <laughs> uh, spinning side kick just, like <laughs> randomly um because uh, like I thought that moment he was playing it to the crowd, but I think he was also telling them like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, yeah we're not doing that right now. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I gave it one star. You know, I, I want a star and a half because it is entertaining. But it's you've been high on the show than I have I, well, so far. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a. Um, I will actually. We'll get to the end, but um, I got some thoughts on this show. I mean, this wasn't good, but. For somebody like Matthew Botchmania, I mean, he has a video pretty much from this match. So, <laughs> is is it is was this entertaining? Sorry. Yeah, no, I, w- I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 
I mean, it, but then I, I don't know how like how much of that is like the journey we've been on with the free birds and seeing them in this ridiculous setting. And, that is true, but yeah. but I, I do think sometimes you take for granted. I mean, like, I mean, there's a lot of wrestling matches where you know there's somebody that doesn't speak English in there with somebody that speaks only English. I mean, yeah. Stan Hansen does not speak fluent Japanese, and he. Right made his career in Japan. So so to see kind of the other end of the spectrum where two or four guys in this case are clearly not on the same page for almost the whole match, yeah. and it seems like it's probably as a result of not being able to call spots with each other. Uh, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's something I go to again and again, Chad, in my various different arguments, is that the, the ring general is an underrated thing. Like, this match needed a, like... As as much as Michael Hayes is underrated, he's not a ring general, is he? Right. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean he's he's not somebody like Arn or somebody of that level. Um, yeah. To rein it in. And it's like, yes, you can take revisionism so far. Like he has been underrated, but he's not one of these workers who's able to do that. I'm yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, Michael Hayes isn't going to be making my top one hundred either. Um. I would classify him as like a good hand at this point, so yeah, that's that's probably as high as he would get. So, uh, moving on, um, we have a totally, totally needless uh, segment now featuring Ole Anderson, who's here <laughs> to tell us uh, he, with Shivani and Magnum TA, all of these people are getting paid. Don't, don't forget. <laughs> um, and basically, he's here to tell us that the Stein, as the head referee, that the Steiners get a bye. Uh, any comments to make on this? No, not really. I mean, it was just Dolly butting his way in for some reason. I mean, there was no doubt that they were going to get a bye, was there? It's not, it's not I, that I big a deal. <laughs> I still don't understand why they make him like the senior official or, or where that comes from. I mean, a guy that never officiated is now the senior official. It's like an executive. I mean, I mean, make him just like whatever Eddie Marlin is or something. It it just yeah. seems useless. Or he could they could have been the first GM, couldn't he? The first. Uh, or what was that role they used to have? Commissioner. Commissioner. Even Bill. I think I think even if they would have said something like matchmaker, that would have made more sense. Like what they did with Grizzly Smith in uh, UWF in Mid South. Yeah. It, I mean, it is interesting to think about that. Watts did like to have that gut, that kind of second on camera, didn't he? So, right. Anyway, um, speaking of people who may or may not make the top 100 list, I think that this is quite an interesting matchup to think about. Uh, this is uh, Jushin Liger, Brian Pillman, taking on Chris Benoit and some dude called Biff or Beef Wellington. Uh, first of all, before we get into any of that, who is Beef Wellington? So pretty much a regional stampede star. Um, I guess with the lack of footage from that promotion, he's not someone I can say I've seen a lot of. No. I, I I think the most interesting, oh, well, it's kind of tragic in a way, but the most morbid, interesting thing about them is uh, both both. Beef Wellington and Benoit's body were found the same day. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know. In oh, wow. 2007. Well, what happened to Beef Wellington? Uh, it, it, 
heart attack, but they said like it was found the same day, but they said he'd been day- dead for a couple of days. Oh, right. I, I mean, I don't want to make it, I don't like to make jokes about that sort of thing, but yeah. I just got an image of him reading the news and like literally at that minute having a, it's like, oh shit, what's happened? Having a heart attack there and then. No, but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a couple of days before they even knew what was uh, going on with Benoit, but uh, kind of an interesting tidbit because they were like stampede partners and then in this match. Uh, oh. Also, Liger's white suit. Yeah. In this match was really cool, I thought. One one little thing about Beef Wellington that I've written down here. I've just said, Beef Wellington, is Beef Wellington what Robbie Brookside is to Regal? Question mark. Mm. Like, is Beef Wellington like Benoit's Robbie Brookside? Because I've been watching some of that early Regal stuff recently, and it, he was pretty good, Robbie Brookside. Yeah, that's an interesting take. Um, it's something I don't, I don't know how much Wellington footage there would be out there. Like I said, I know Charles has uh, watched a little bit of the '80s Stampede, but that's something I've never really discovered or watched hardly any of. Um, Stampede would probably be lower than Texas on my. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I mean, it was it was funny that all there was all uproar about the Stampede stuff. I was like, uh, yeah, but it is stampede so. well that was i mean we watched one show of that before it got yanked and uh i mean it was interesting to watch because you got heel jyd and ed whalen who is uh just a different completely different on the show we watched he actually conducts an interview where he lies down on the mat to conduct an interview with a, a injured wrestler but he does throw in also his little snarky comments and stuff like well this 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 is totally you know tomfoolery or whatever that's kind of not exactly getting the action over um and, it's, it's a weird thing did the talk matter uh, crop up on that footage uh yes he did because uh, that was what his catchphrase I, I i i'm not kelly so i can't do the impression but he used to say no chance mr mr right. whalen that was his whole thing all right so yes i guess three of these match three of these guys are all timers aren't they chad i'm guessing all three of them would make your top hundred um yeah i mean i mean liger and benoit both certainly will i mean benoit it's a that's a personal view i I think liger is someone that i mean once we get done with the voting it'll be interesting to see someone who makes uh the most list i can see liger as being one of those type guys Mm. that I'd, I'd, i'd find it pretty hard to leave liger off of a top 100 list unless you just watched no Japanese, and even then, maybe some of his U.S. stuff is enough to put him over the top. Um, so, so you got a good bit of uh, talent in the ring, and I, I thought this match was really good. I mean, it, it certainly worked in a more work ratey, high impact uh, style than the other matches we've seen, and I thought that provided a good contrast um, that I enjoyed. Um, because we didn't get the, uh, we didn't get sort of, I mean, I mean the, the other match with the Rhodes and Rhodes and Wyndham versus, uh, Arn and Bobby, that was pretty old school Southern tag. And the final match at the end feels pretty, uh, kind of your Hoss wrestling battle. Mm -hmm. So this was sort of your aerial, uh, Japanese oriented style match for the night. 
I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't think it was great. Uh, again, when I looked at the ratings of this show, I, I know some people went four stars. Yeah, way, way over the top. Uh, plus, I, I I went more three and a half again. Um, but uh, but I thought it was entertaining, and I thought Liger looked really good, and him and Pillman proved to be a very good team together. Well, one thing I didn't get about this match is why do they go to the concrete so often? Uh, or is that just the commentators going on about it? But it seemed like they kept on hitting those bumps on that concrete on the same spot, the same bit of carpet all the time. Um, it, it seemed like too many times to be an accident, you know? I, w- I was wondering if they even had uh, instruction from the office to get over the concrete. Maybe. That's, that's possible. And also, with this being the NWA sanctions, they were, were able to go off the uh, top rope. Yeah. So that helped a lot. I mean, I mean, when Liger does his I say moonsault, uh, Jesse just loses his shit on commentary. Yeah, that, that props the crowd pretty huge. That moonsault, right. doesn't it? Right. So that was a uh, pretty incredible move. I mean, I think this was a great match. Where when the guys came out, it does feel like I mean, you know, the crowd's whatever. But by the end, they were pretty behind the four guys. Yeah, I mean, one the spot of the match for me was uh, Liger reversing that super back suplex that um, I think maybe uh, Benoit was even going for like a German off the top or something ridiculous, and Liger reverses it into a crossbody in midair. I thought that was a great. I thought that was a great spot that even today would be quite cool. Um, but this is one of those matches that I think loses something in. Like, if you were there at the time, like, I, I'd imagine if you were in that arena, you'd be like, oh, my God, I haven't seen anything like this before. Um, you know, there was a lot of... It was basically a big old spot spectacle, wasn't it? You know, big old... Big spots, pop in the crowd, spectacular stuff that some of these guys hadn't seen before. Um, but I didn't really think it was much more than that. So I, I've said here that it was fun, but it was insubstantial and went two and a half. Is that harsh? Uh, pretty harsh i think (laughs) um i mean i can see where you're coming from though i mean i don't think this is a uh i i I do think at the time and in the wcw concept this match probably looks better than it does now but uh i appreciate it for what it was i thought it was well worked and kept the energy going i mean those types of matches yeah you're not gonna have like 10 minute arm work or somebody really cutting the ring off but uh for what they were trying to accomplish that i think they did a good job here so that's why i thought it was really good well considering some of the matches i've given two and a half stars to recently is high praise so we should move <laughs> on <laughs> um it's the it's the headhunters now now the headhunters were uh, a pair of guys under masks and they're taking on Hirose uh, Hase, uh, somebody I've become a big fan of recently, and uh, Akira Nagami. I believe that uh, Suzaki, who was Hase's usual partner, was injured uh, for this card, um, which is why Nagami was there. Um, Now, Chad, do you know who the guys under the masks were? I didn't, and in a a little bit of prep, I told Parv that I was going to try not to look at that. Um, I, I really have no idea after watching. <laughs> so uh, I, I will just guess Jack Victory. Nope. Oh, that's a shame because that could have been a fun spot. Um, now, now one of the headhunters looked bigger and stubbier. Yep. And you kind of gave me a hint that I wouldn't believe who was one of the guys under the mask. 
Right. So I am going to go with somebody that we know, and I'm going to say somebody like Dick Slater. Mm. No, it's not Dick Slater. Mm. Um, no, I, you won't get one of them. One of them is the jobber, Bob Cook. Long-time okay. WCW oh. jobber. You wouldn't get him. But the other guy, the bigger guy that you talk to, is a pretty established guy. And he's pretty famous. And I think if I give you one more clue, you might get it. He's already wrestled on this card. Already wrestled on this card. Uh, well, I guess I'd have to go with someone like Arn. It is Arn. It's Arn Anderson. Really? Yeah. Now, speaking of dream matches on paper, Arn and Hasse in a tag match together. Isn't that dream match territory? Well, you, it should, is. you should see, because Arn was in the G1 that year. I wonder if Hasse was. Let me look that up real quick. <laughs> they may have had a singles match. Wow. But that is that is odd that they would have Arn do double duty. Yeah, I don't know what the story is there. Again, we haven't got the Meltzers this week. Um, but yeah, uh, well, that's something we'll definitely have to track when we uh, get the Meltzers. Yeah, I, I don't think Arn had a match with Hasse. Um, sadly. But so, oh, so, no, I forgot. Yeah, 92 was still where they didn't do the round robin, but did the single elimination. Um. And actually, yeah, so Arn actually faces Austin right? loses, which is kind of a waste of both of them. Consider you had Sasaki face Jim Neidhart, which is completely odd. Hase faced Terry Taylor, but I guess Hase was injured because Taylor advances via forfeit. Wow. Weird. <laughs> That's an upset. <laughs> but what, yeah, why not just put a high say with Arn there if you're going to have Arn job in the first round anyway? So, so anyway, this is a little bit of, uh, you know, another, like, I, I've come to think that Hase is a is an all-timer, and uh, Arn definitely is. So there's the two of them uh, together. Just uh, just briefly, Chad, Hase, do you, do you agree with my take on him as a, being a complete super worker? I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Hase. Um, I think he's someone that's really shined in the yearbook setting going through it because he's had uh, a, a bevy of tremendous matches. He has a match with Liger from 91 that I would really like you to watch, Parv. Yeah. I think you'd enjoy that a good deal. Um, his match with Kabashi from 97. Did you watch that? What did you yeah, watch? Yeah, I, I think I think I, I watched him against all the old Japan guys one yeah, night. Yeah, and then you watched um, his stuff with, like, the match with Kawada, I think, is disappointing. But the year before in the Tokyo Dome, he faced Jun Akiyama. Yeah, um, in fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you I, I watched him versus Hash. I watched him versus Akiyama from 98. That was a great yeah, match. That, that's the one from the Tokyo Dome. Kabashi 97 was a great match. Yes. Tenryu from 93 was a pretty good match. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I, I watched him against a whole whole bunch of guys, and uh, I thought he was pretty good in many different settings. Even in the 80s, he was good, too. So uh, I, I think a pretty underrated guy. I don't know quite where he'll land yet, but I can see him in, like, the 40 to 70 range. But my analogy, Chad, was that he's, like, the ultimate Chris Jericho, someone, someone like that. Right. right. But, like, in a Japanese setting. Um, cause he was never quite the top, top 
guy, was he? Yeah, it was never like a big dog, but I, I think as far as card positioning, that's a pretty apt comparison. And uh, I, I've come to, I mean, just, just on the subject of Hase, I, he is just an amazing guy because he went to the 88 Olympics. He had this amazing career as a wrestler, and now he's like the... He's on, like, the Japanese government. Like, yeah, he's, the parliament he's, or whatever. That is ridiculous. Like, he's not just... He's, like, their secretary for culture or something ridiculous. How can that... How can that happen? <laughs> That's, like, the equivalent of, like, Arn becoming, you know, secretary of state or something for the US. <laughs> now, okay, so Wikipedia has the other guy in the mask as Joe Cruz. Joe Cruz? Yes. Oh. So we'll have to get the melters on this, and maybe yeah. if this may be like a, a night situation from Survivor Series '93, where I, I still don't think we have a definitive answer whether mm. who was whether it was Jeff Gaylord or well, Glenn Jacobs under the mask. Well, if there's anything I know about podcasts and Chad, if we've made a mistake, I'll be the Someone first. Someone will be, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So. But this is what I am interested on, whether it may have been Anderson leaked out and now later on. But, uh, yeah, so that'll well, be interesting. Anyway, th- I mean, this match wasn't th- th- thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete, in advance. That's going to be Pete Fusco, I reckon. You'll be the first in on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, carry on. I mean, I mean, this was, again, I didn't think a lot uh Headhunters are very weird. Them being from the Dominican, I thought was odd that they would say that because it felt clear it was two white guys under a mask. I mean, you could see their skin. Um, and and Hase and Nagami looked good as a team uh, for two guys that didn't team up a whole lot. Uh, but but again, this was pretty much advancing them as a team, and what? we'll see what they can do at Great American Bash. And what's the deal with uh, Nagami? Like he seemed to have quite substantial gimmick on him. Like yeah, who, he, well, he's more of a junior. I mean, he's a junior guy. He is a junior guy. So he had a long series with Liger uh, through '91. He was actually on the uh, first WCW New Japan Super Show versus Liger. Right, yeah. Um, and then, so uh, him being put in this spot, I, I don't know, probably just made the trip with him. Was he like a great Muta knockoff or something Kinda like that? Kind of, for a junior version, a, a oh. little bit. Certainly showed a lot of character. So, uh, I mean, the head end has got a surprising amount of offense in, considering. Uh, like, they got a backbreaker, a side slam, a double suplex. I was surprised by how much uh, Hase and Nagami gave them. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, they had spurts, but I always felt like this was kind of Hase's match, I guess, yeah. overall. So. They, well, we got a German from uh, Nagami in the Northern Light Suplex from Hase, and Jim Ross called it a, just called it a German, again, from the belly-to-belly position, which I yeah, guess they Yeah, bo- they both did the dual uh, yeah. suplexes for the pin. Yeah, I gave it a star and a half. Yeah, it was I mean, star, it was. star for me, so... So anyway, um, Jesse Ventura's back in the ring again. They, they were going in for these in-the-ring interviews tonight, and he's with Ron Simmons, who wants to be the first black world champion. Now Harley Race comes out with Super Invader, and uh, we get a good another classic bit, bit of racism from 1992 here, where uh, Race says, I had a, when I was world champion, I had a boy like you carrying my bags. Now, I didn't know this. I had no idea about this racism angle. I, I'd never seen the show before and had never heard about the like race being involved in the 
in the Ron Simmons thing. Um, maybe that's why they call him Harley Race. But <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you make of this? Awful. Uh, this this was to me shocking. Like again, yeah, I've never heard of this, but. I mean, there's no other way to put it, but, I mean, Race was a bigot to Simmons here, uh, <laughs> talking about making him his gopher boy, want him to go talk to Sting, and then the line you said about, like, he was like, well, I'm a seven-time champion, and I had a boy like you carry my bag, and all that. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of weird, this. is oh, Clearly, like, Watson put him up to this, but... You yeah, know. I mean Simmons has a line that's like this isn't the 1800s, but <laughs> I mean it's like well, Ron, it sounds like this is happening in 1992 from what you're <laughs> in the ring. So. Yeah, I mean it's believe like it's I guess it's believable like race's accent and the where he's from and so on, but uh, yeah, it seems seems weird. Uh, it's no. like a weird way to present an angle. I mean, you know, it's like kind of a no-win situation. I feel like when race in wrestling, not Harley race, but the subject of race in wrestling rarely portrays itself out into a, a well-done angle. Yeah, very it rare. It feels kind of like a little bit of a bait grabbing for the viewer or something in that regard. Yeah. Um, or, or who's this Super Invader character? That would be uh, Hercules. Right, okay. Wow, Hercules in 1992. Yeah. Okay, so that so how long did he stick around for? Is he not very long? Yeah. Is he still there by the time we get to the bash? Uh, yeah, he wrestles a Great American Bash in a dark match. I don't think he's there by like Halloween Havoc time though. God, there's a there's a guy whose career just nosedive, wasn't it? I I seem to remember there was a story about Hercules, like like he refused to put over someone in WF and was basically blackballed. I don't recall, but yeah, uh, no. Somebody again, somebody in the in the comments will. Uh, well, I just enjoyed on tag teams back again a couple of episodes back. Marty uh, revealed that he'd never seen a Hercules match. Yeah, I know, I know. It just seemed like so. Like, I mean, of all <laughs> you forget, but it's like, oh my god, I can't imagine like never seeing a Hercules match. Well, it's the it's the point I keep on making this on demand generation, Chad. Like why would why would you see a Hercules match? That's true. <laughs> I mean, at his age, yeah, but uh, it just it just sounded so obscure. Like, I mean, I've never seen a Hercules match. I, it, I don't I don't know. Like, you could say like, I mean, what would be a comparison? Like, okay, like Justin has never seen a Masawa match. Right. And okay. That's not near as surprising to me as someone like Marty never seeing a Hercules <laughs> match. It just, it just seems so obtuse. Right, um, so uh, why don't we go in now um, to looking at uh, the next thing here. I'm trying to remember who uh, um, Hercules refused to job to. Oh, God, who was it? Was it Billy Jack Haynes, maybe? No, it's, it's... well, that was way back when. That was probably Billy Jack. I'm sure again. Well, maybe maybe Billy Jack refused to do a job to her. I don't know. Yeah, Billy Jack definitely refused to do a lot of jobs, so that seems part of the course for him. God. Good job Super Invader wasn't around at the same time as PN News. There was no way uh, they would have asked him to put over PN News, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who who was it? Someone like Mike Rotunda refused to put over PN News before he went? (laughs) 
Anyway, um, uh, well, I why you like Rotunda so much? He uh, refused <laughs> to put over. Pete. It's one of those big myths. I lo- love Mike Rotunda. I, I just I don't know. I was I was an IRS mark as a kid. I guess so. Anyway, um, Bill Watts is out now with Tony Schiavone, and basically buries the NWA president by overruling him and saying that um, we don't do things like that around here. Steiners and Doc and Gordy are gonna is gonna go on right now. Let's hook him up. So what do you, what do you think of this? Bill Watts basically putting himself over uh, in the middle of all of this by booking yeah, the, well, the dream match right now. Yeah. So this podcast is being recorded on the wake of me attending an indie show where we had a, a bait and switch. But uh, I mean, I mean, this is kind of the good in that you get a good main event that wasn't advertised. But on the other hand, I don't feel like this is very fair to the other people in the tournament. Because whoever wins this match at the Great American Bash now only has to win two matches. Whereas everyone else would have to win three, the other six teams. Yeah, so quite an unfair ruling. Yeah, a little, pretty unfair ruling by Watts here. But, uh, <laughs> and, like you said, completely jobbed out the NWA, so... So, yeah, it's kind of weird that they devote this whole card to this NWA tournament while simultaneously burying the NWA and then having no intention of carrying on the, the belts. Like, what the, what were they doing? A, a complete mess, uh, the, the scene here, the, the NWA situation, I think. Anyway, um, we get some... Uh, yes, so now we go into this match, the Steiner Brothers versus Doc and Gordy. And from a certain point of view... This is also a dream match. So, um, how, how did you take this one, Chad? Well, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm, I'm interested to how you like this match because it's it's not a match for me. This is not a dream match pairing, um, and it's a match I wasn't really looking forward to, but I I really ended up enjoying it quite a good bit once the execution happened. I thought the beginning where Jesse. You know, I I haven't been crazy about... I'm not as high on Jesse, certainly, as yourself and as a lot of people. But I thought Jesse made a great point at the beginning by pointing out that Scott always starts the match. And then when Rick starts this match, he acts completely shocked. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really interesting to kind of put up the gravity of the match overall. The, the match starts out with the wrestling that I could see some see as boring... Uh, I thought they did some unique stuff, though, like when Scott is wrapped around Gordy's shoulders to kind of have a, a different vibe on what you were watching. It wasn't, you know, straight chin lock or arm bar or something of that ilk uh, at the beginning. Uh, and then we start getting some slams sprinkled in. Rick does a big slam to Williams. He rolls to the outside and regroups. Uh that, that was kind of the story of the match up to the big finish. And then the big finish is kind of the big bombs you would expect from these people. Uh, and I like that we did get a, you know, a, a cleanish finish where the MVC go over, which I thought was kind of, a, again, a little bit of a surprise, but really helps establish them as a team coming in. And uh, the, the, I, I still thought they looked like pretty good badasses at this match, which... I would agree with some of their stuff in Japan and with some of the stuff I remember from WCW was not the case. But as far as this uh, night, I thought they were presented really well. So this ended up uh, ended up giving this match three and three quarters stars. 
Interesting, Chad, because I have exactly the same rating, three and three quarters. Now, I I will say that the amateur stuff at the start is a little too much of it for my tastes. Uh, But it does give things a great feeling of of legitimacy, I guess. Um, But, you know, I'm not a fan of all the amateur stuff. I can't. Let's be honest. I don't give a crap about rolling around on the map. I never have. Um, I want it to look kind of stiff and painful and have decent struggle but in terms of the intricate mat work and so on i mean like you need a guy like oj to appreciate that it's not it's just not my bag you know never will be um but once we get the massive lariat by doc and it's a huge lariat yeah it completely turns rick inside out yeah the stiffness levels of this match go up and um i thought the face in peril sequence on scott was worked pretty well and the finish is really good with the chop block on Scott taking out his knee and all of the paramedics and stuff coming down. Right. So I, I I thought it was a, a, a good match, you know. Um, now, there's a lot of Steiner's match that I prefer to this one. And if you do read the comments on PWO, Chad, there are a lot of people saying this is the best Steiner's match ever. And um, I, I, I can't agree oh, that's with that. In- yeah, that's interesting. I didn't go into the PWO thread for this match. I didn't even know yeah. what from this show made the yearbook. But, uh, I, I I mean, I can see... I mean, this is kind of the Steiners that I like, you know, for me, more than the kind of straight, reckless, spot fest, all the way Steiners. This felt more like uh, the Steiners you saw versus the Hart Brothers in that match from early 1994. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one match of theirs I'd put over this one. I prefer the Hart Brothers match. I prefer Money, Inc. match, uh, two of them. Yeah, I mean, I've, even those spot fests, I mean, like them versus Doom and Doom. those spot fest matches. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Doom. yeah, this isn't my favorite Steiner Brothers match, but I can see, like, as them as a team, this is probably the Steiner Brothers as a team I like more, only because they were a little more vulnerable in this match than they usually are. Yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Um, it's just that, uh, yeah, I, I, I can I can I can see why people like the match. Um, it's just like for what I'm looking for from a Steiner from Steiner Brothers. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever given a match of theirs over four and a half. So we're not talking like huge margins here, but uh, you know, it'd probably make like a top ten Steiner Brothers list, but. There are a lot of people saying this is like by far the, their best match ever, and I, I don't see that to be honest. Right. So, yeah, and uh, I mean for Doc and Gordy, yes, they've presented really well on this show, but I, I think as we'll see in the coming uh, months, Chad, Watts was really pushing us. Like, okay, he puts them over here, but just look how relentlessly what Watts pushes these two guys over the next couple of months. It's just like I would say. Like if you if you didn't know, you'd think that Gordy and Williams were his like two sons or something. He he's got such a hard on for them the way he pushes them. So um, this is a good like chapter one to this feud. But in in my mind, the Steiners need the next match now, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I can see that. Like now, you know, well we had the time limit draw at the Beach Blast. Um, these guys now, NBC takes the win here, so they should have done a definitive kind of, you know, and who knows when they might have been planning it, but 
probably should have capped it off where the Steiners get the final victory, and that's the feud. They need to win at the bash, basically. Right. And I, as I recall, that doesn't happen. Well, I so. mean, this is the tournament, so they wouldn't face each other. Oh, of course, yeah, of course. I mean, that's another weird uh, booking thing, isn't it? But I, I guess that's Bill Watts thinking real sports, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could have seen this as the finals of the tournament, really. But yeah, that, that, sorry, I just remembered that that they can't be in the bash because they're out of this one now. Right. Weird. All right, well, that's uh, Clash of the Champions nineteen, a kind of forgotten card in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, so I mean, to me, it's an hour and forty-five minutes to two hours to watch this show. And it's a show where I really liked a good bit of stuff. I mean, nothing was great. I had nothing at four stars or above. But I did have three matches at three and a half or above. And even that opener, um, you know, it flirted. I went two and three fours. It could have been close to a three-star match. So overall, with this show, even the bad stuff I thought was entertaining enough. And the good stuff I thought was really good and solid. And it, it... this really feels like a forgotten type show. Um, kind of for a modern day perspective, you know, NXT Respect was an NXT special that happened a couple months ago. And it had the semifinals and the finals of the Dusty Rhodes uh, tournament. Yeah. And it got a lot of praise for its undercard. And the matches of the tag tournament in that show, I mean, I like them a good deal, but I'd rank them about the same as the top three matches from this show. And yeah, this show doesn't have a Bailey versus Sasha Iron Woman match to kind of cap it off. But just from a tournament standpoint, I mean, I, I think now with 20, what, 25 years of retrospect almost, you would say, oh, this was one of those forgettable a forgettable NWA tag title meaningless shows. But if you watch it and you put some star rankings on it, I thought this was a really good effort. Yeah. Um, so I was ever so slightly lower on this card than the, the, the new Chad. But um, I think basically everything that we're watching at this point is getting a little bump because um, I'm basically right in my wheelhouse here. 92 WCW. It's like, okay, these might not be the best matches on earth, but I'm right at home, you know, watching Steamboat and Arn or any of these guys, really, in this setting with these commentators. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this absolutely flew by when I watched it. Yeah, I mean, I I can get the sense that there's a certain comfort to the action you're watching, but I I, I don't know, I mean, like... Just in watching this show last night, I mean, I, I did just get a sense of... You know, wow, I'm really entertained by almost everything on this show. Even, I mean, the Freebird Silver King stuff is is that comically bad, not that boring bad. So that was uh, kind of refreshing. I, I think basically every match has got something a little bit interesting about it, which right. is which is refreshing for any card, I think. Uh, I'd agree with that. Uh, why don't we do our awards, Chad? I just remember that. Sure. So the, the match of the night, I think, we both go the same. Yeah, I went the uh, main event um, for yeah. myself, and that would be for you. Oh, I, I, we forgot to mention and mention in the match, but Capello was on his phone again. He was on his head. <laughs> was he really? Yeah, what, when what they about? go to the outside, when uh, Scott gets clipped the first time, right before that, you can see Capello on his headset in the corner talking. 
God well, knows the who, but... He yeah. was probably checking on the Puerto Ricans, wasn't he? Yep, he was yapping again. He was checking on the Puerto Ricans in ca- casualty, whatever they were. <laughs> busy busy night for the ambulance uh, team yeah. that night. Yeah. <laughs> um, another uh, award that we do, Chad, is the Billy Graham Award for the worst worker on the show. Um, so... Oh, and, and God, I know you haven't seen it yet, but uh, that 1983 car that me and kelly watched the the, the landover cap center one yeah oh my god if if you watch nothing else just watch the billy graham match on that card <laughs> it's her oh my like as bad as as bad as he looked when we saw him chad look at him there on that car it's so worth now oh man uh, oh he 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 faces sal belomo in the curfew oh, match. oh, oh jesus uh, it's the it's the worst that's uh, a brutal it, pairing oh uh, yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it. I won't even tell you who goes over in that match. But uh, the fact is, a mystery tells you everything. So, um, anyway, yeah, uh, worst worker. I, I mean, I guess it kind of has to be uh, Michael Hayes, right? Well, not. I, I don't know if he was the worst worker in that match, but he seemed to be the one that was trying to ring lead the match, and it was falling apart right before his eyes. So. He's kind of getting it for me. I'm tempted to give it to Jeff O'Day just to have the most obscure guy ever on the on the old awards list, which I will update one day. Um, um, because did Jeff he did he even enter the match? I don't recall, and if it was, it was brief. Hmm. No, I'll give it to uh, Jimmy Jam Garvin. Oh come on. <laughs> Yeah, just, yeah. When in doubt, give it to Garvin. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, at least Hayes was entertaining in that match. Yeah, I guess. We didn't even give us a yeah, yeah, yeah. So Right, that's true. <laughs> it looked like he was about to when they first got in the ring, but then he decided against it, which was disappointing. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Jack. I want to make him, like, the all-time... Like, I wonder how many of those he's got now. <laughs> yeah, he, well, we may rename Billy Graham the Jimmy Jam, so. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, so a more interesting question, because I reckon there's legitimately about 10 different guys who could you could give it to. Uh, best worker, MVP. Yeah, so MVP, I'm actually going with Dr. Death. Someone that I don't think either one of us is too high on his U.S. run, but again, this show, I thought he looked really effective, really stiff in the main event and in his squash, and uh, all around, I thought he gave a good performance tonight, which is a lot of times not the norm in the U.S. Mm. Interesting. Um, I haven't really given a lot of thought to who I'd give this to. I, I want to say it's one of Scott Steiner's better performances, you know, because he um, he works that face and peril sequence. Like, you don't think of... Scott Steiner is a particularly great seller, but it's probably one of his better versions of that uh, that we see. Yeah, like, Scott was uh, solid. Uh, I actually thought Gordy was really good in that match as well. Like he, uh, you know, he looked like he was, and he also had some entertaining stuff on the um, on the on the interviews. I'm thinking about Doc. Have you seen Doc versus Gordy on the NWA Classics? By the way, yeah. No, I haven't. But uh, oh, that's that's a I know it's, Yeah, it got oh. great reviews. That is, I mean, if you want to talk about hospital, um, hmm, interesting. I, I actually really like Rick Rude in the, in his brief appearance. It's not probably not enough for a. Yeah, he he was really crisp. I mean, this is 
of course, like Rude's peak year. So Liger was good in his match too. Sure. Uh, no, I'll give it to uh, I'll give it to Doc as well, Chad. Uh, I g- I gave him worse worker so many times before, uh, Steve Williams. I guess this this will recognize that he's turned the corner here. Right. Give him um, some credit. So what we uh, what we watching next? So next is the Great American Bash, which is pretty much this tournament, and then Vader versus Sting. So uh, let's just show what we'll see. I mean, I don't really have many opinions going into that show, so it may surprise me or it may be boring. Well, it, I'm going into it with low opinions, so hopefully that will that will change. It can only go up, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, so yes, look out for that when it when it comes and. Uh, Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.